Hello from Perara on the foothills of Mount Etna, where it has only just finished absolutely pouring with rain. It's the rest day on the Giro d'Italia, the first of three, and it's the second of our 2022 Giro d'Italia Never Strays Farfalle specials, brought to you with decreasing frequency due to the fact that what we did last year was almost superhuman, and we are not superhuman. It's been a great race, though, so far. And um, since Grand Tours are often equated with Test Match Cricket, I think we can safely say that we have reached lunch on the first day and the opening morning session has been full of action. Hero Square in Budapest. It had been a long wait for Hungary to welcome the Giro and it lived up to expectation. Sicily, as I um, indicated at the top of the show. Yeah, just landed last, last night. Quite an adventurous journey, actually, um, down from Hungary, from the, the lakes, uh, the shore of Lake, oh, what was it called? It was only yesterday, and I've already forgotten it. Balatan? Batalan? One or the Antaramnesia. other. It's a, yeah, exactly. I've scrubbed it. Hard drive is gone, and I've kind of moved on already, but Huge, uh, huge freshwater lake in the middle of Hungary, just to the southwest of Budapest, about an hour and a half drive. But and you know me and lakes. No, I know. Well, the fear. We, yeah, the, I got the fear a little bit because it was big. You know, like it was almost you can't see the other side, the other shore. Mm. That's that's pretty curious, isn't it? Um, hey, that I, film. I just thought. Remember the film Cape Fear? Was that on a lake? I haven't seen it. I could Google it. I did some... No, it doesn't sound... Yeah, it's a cape. It sounds like a sea film, doesn't it? So, yeah. What's it about? What's it about? a cape? Is it like an estuary sort of thing? A a cape? Um, A cape. Cape of Good Hope, David. Think about the Cape of Good... No, no, it's the opposite of an estuary. It's a peninsula. It's It's literally the opposite of an estuary. No, but that's what I mean. But that's what I mean. It's a peninsula. (laughs) It's it's a land estuary. (laughs) Yeah, it is to to the sea what an estuary is to the land. It's a little pointy bit that goes into the sea. Like the Cape of Good Hope. Because <laughs> okay. Cape, Cape Fear was a classic horror film, thriller film. Was it? Yeah, it feels like it's one of those films done, that I feel like I should have seen and I, I never did. There was a remake with Robert De Niro. Anyway, ah, that, don't watch okay. it. 
But it got me to, we had hours and hours of commentary yesterday before Cavendish's sprint victory that we just heard and we'll get on to discuss. Um, and it was, you know, it was a 200 kilometer stage and not a great deal happened for quite a long time. So I was able to voice on the world feed my thoughts about freshwater lakes and, you know, that I've often aired with you both in private and indeed on the television. Um, and uh, Matt Stevens was quite was quite surprised actually at my attitude. Um, and then I had so in my ear, my director, producer, director, not really a producer director, but they're more like overseeing the general drift of the content. And bearing in mind, I'm actually kind of I'm in a semi compromised position because I'm paid by the race itself, um, and the race itself uh, has uh, a vested interest in selling selling itself and selling the the, uh, the 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 quality of the environment that you know the mm. selling the images that that, that is being presented with so after i complained about the lake for about five minutes on air i just got a little voice in my ear saying okay c- can you move on please uh move on from just uh t- tearing apart this absolutely beautiful um part of hungary but um yeah. Anyway, so w- when we finished when we finished work yesterday, we had to, and they were slow. They were twenty minutes down on the slowest schedule, and Oof. we were all, always going to be up against it. There's a few highlights, little bits and pieces that need to be done after we, you know, long time after we've come off air, which is even after all the podium has been done and all that kind of thing. So it's quite a drags on quite a bit. And then there was an absolute scramble to get all our stuff back into our hire car that we had in Hungary. Get the hire car to this um, point a few kilometres up the road, this random car park in Hungary next to a disused aqua park um, where we had to drop the hire car off, throw the keys at a guy from Avis, um, take all our luggage out, jump on a shuttle bus, and all the shuttle buses were numbered, and all the RCS personnel were taken off in six different buses. That's how many people, RCS alone, brought Mm. to Hungary, six different full-size buses. Um, all of us uh, got taken off in a big convoy all the way around the lake or halfway around this massive lake, an hour's drive to a um, to what used to be, until quite recently, a semi-secret military airport, David. It's quite exciting, oh, wow. that bit of it. Yeah. Wow. You know, like Lovely. when you get, you know, like when you get um, aircraft hangars that are basically reinforced bunkers. They've got the kind of like oh, yeah. curved grass shape. Over the top. And a gra- exactly, yeah. exactly that, grass over the top. Yeah. Sort of thing your dad, your old man would have known all That's about. My youth. Back I, used to, I, used to, I used to play on those hangers when I was a kid, yeah. Did you? Yeah, I think what, I hang- lost like, some of my earliest memories just rolling down this, going and playing with my sister on grass covered hangers at RAF Kinloss. <laughs> I suppose the yeah. gradient is just about shallow enough to actually, and that, like you say, yeah. they're covered in grass, just to do roly polies yeah. all the way down there. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, good times. That is brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. You know, you know, um, the big Italian producer I work with, Massi, Massimiliano. Yeah, yeah. You've met, you know, you've met Massi. Massi's, Santa Maria. Massi's, yeah. Massi's dad, I think you and Massi are similar age, actually, David, and, and Massi's dad was a fighter pilot in the Italian Air Force. So oh, and wow. I, I'd imagine he's a, he's a kind of contemporary on the other yeah. Air Force of, of your father. And um, Massi's dad uh, <laughs> sent a message to, to Massi late last night, who was on the same flight as us. Um, and they hadn't had any communication for days, but Massey's dad had be- vaguely been wondering where his son was and he'd gone onto one of those websites and he tracked all the flights coming out of Hungary and he'd figured, oh, that one's going to Sicily. And he kind of tracked it back and he said, oh, I bet you took off from that, that ex-military no airbase in Hungary. And he said he used to fly regularly because it's quite close to the border with um, Austria. So he used to, he used to fly quite, quite regularly 
for NATO yeah. kind of, and I mean, you know, the fact that this is all being recounted in the context in which we now live is quite scary, really. But yeah. he used to fly regular reconnaissance missions very close to where we took off from, you know, and of course that was in the Eastern Bloc back then. And uh, wow. yeah, kind of, kind Very of felt, cool. felt, felt weird, felt really weird. But and then, so we all, we all bundled onto this flight and then all of us landed at uh, course to midnight in Catania, which is a pretty small airport. And um, the, the airport had stayed up late for us all. All of us had our grand tour baggage on the carousel. So it all had to come off the plane and then got, you know, into the baggage carousel area, all these RCS staff and then me and Matt Stevens. And we're all waiting at the baggage carousel, which was showing no signs of sparking into life. And then, and then we all had to pick up hire cars from Europe car oh. and then, and then drive to our, our various hotels scattered all over the kind of foothills of Mount Etna. Um, so it was just one of those, it was just one of those evenings, but Matt brilliantly said, right, you wait here, you get my bag as well. And I'm going to jump to the front of the queue like that. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he did. And staggeringly, we were the only team who thought of that, which kind of blew our minds huh. that like no one else. And we, over breakfast this morning, we were discussing how amazing it was that only us and we're traveling around together had thought of splitting up and doing that thing where so Matt got right to the front of the queue at Europe car to pick up the car way before anyone else. I got our bags off, met, we were on the road, we were gone. We jumped, the, huh. massively jumped the queue just by a little bit of application of science like that. And we thought that's an amazing metaphor for um, Italian cycling. <laughs> oh, it is, isn't it? <laughs> isn't yeah. it? There they all were. Of a, men of a certain age, all men, all white, all of a certain age, with their lanyards around their necks, all in their RCS uniforms, just waiting by the baggage carousel because that's what they've always done, and uh, and, and not thinking, yeah. oh, but maybe you could do it differently and split up. They, they were not marginal gaining. They weren't marginal gaining. Hey, David, yeah. did you you threatened last time we podded? You said if Mathieu van der Poel wins, we need to talk about that. So, did you see Mathieu van der Poel winning stage one? I did, but I only caught the end of it because I was running around and I had to go and pick. So I was watching it on my phone. Um, mm. This is of, how this is how modern cycling is consumed. It's what people do. It is. Yep. It's true. It's on the phone. Yep. And I got to say, it was Gramai pushed him. Ooh. I mean, it was. Yeah. I, I mean it, and it, I mean Caleb Ewan. I mean, it, it was a lot closer. I mean, the fact Matthew Vanderpool can come as far back as he did, only he could do that. But still, I mean, he had to. Normally, he'd crush that. I mean, absolutely dominate it. But Gramai was head and shoulders above everybody else. Was kind of just came over, put, putting time into Ewan. Ewan was so tired, he kind of just, he was quacked. so weak when he hit, quacked. He was quacked, but I mean, he did it himself, quacked himself. Quacked but himself. yeah, I, I, it, was a, it, was, it was pretty impressive, I've got to say. But I think the most, Matthew Vanderpool, we take for granted. Brilliant, good ride from him. But Gramai, geez, that was awesome. Like really awesome, so encouraging. I mean, I hope I, I hope that's indicative of Gramai winning a stage here because if he can, if he's not yeah. peaking out now, I mean, that's that's when you're giving Matthew Vanderpool a run for his money. It's likely that he's going to going to have a stage win at some point during the race. And you couldn't get two more contrasting styles on a bike than than mm. Gramai and Vanderpool. Vanderpool thrashing it around with that muscular upper body of his and that kind of hunched yeah. back and all that kind of mm. power that you can visibly see being transferred through the cranks. And Gramai is just like slightly upright, um, rock steady and just sort of twiddling, isn't he? He looks so, ele- he looks so elegant. He's and yet they're, so they're, strong. They're, and they're, but they're almost as fast as one another. It's kind of, it's super yeah, it's impressive. Too- 
two complete different styles. I mean, Gromaya, it's just, we all say Matthew Vanderpool's got such class, but as you say, it's so different. It's come from a different style of racing, from cyclocross, mountain biking, where it is a lot more physical. You use your upper body. He uses his whole body. And not to say Gromaya doesn't, but Gromaya's got such a pure kind of roadies, kind of almost call it a quiet style, where it's so efficient. He's not, mm. he doesn't seem to be wasting anything. It's, I mean, it, and, and that, it, I mean, it's a definition of class, isn't it? When you've got a rider who's just got that, and Gramai is, uh, he's clearly got that. But it's, as you say, it's so interesting because we, and that's always the conundrum with cycling. You say that Mathieu van der Poel, he's got class, and I think it looks amazing on a bike, but it's a very unique style. And Gramai, similarly, is, is a much more classic style, actually. That very really classic. efficient, beautiful, just elegant sort of application. Whereas Mathieu van der Poel is just raw, unadulterated power and and just strength so yeah it was, it was really cool to watch i mean grimai impresses me in so many ways p- partly because his story is so consistent you know that mm. that um the, the traceable progress that he's been making um is is so joined up you know every step every step seems to be a, an appropriate next level that he's taking um, and I think that the way that he's competed so far at the Giro d'Italia is possibly even a step up on, weird as it sounds, on his Gent-Vevelgem victory. You know, mm. I think he's, met, he's taking strides that are really, um, uh, you know, the curve is absolutely traceable. But, but nonetheless, he is such a different proposition. And, and because he comes from this country of climbers, you know, all we've ever known from Eritrea is a succession of fantastic climbers. Um, and to look at him physically, and this comes back to what you were talking about, about his shape on the bike, you know, if he just walked into a room or if you saw him at a team presentation and you didn't know about him, you'd look at him and go, he's probably an Eritrean climber, isn't he? Yeah, he it does. Yeah, it's true. He doesn't look that different sort of physiologically yeah. from from your Tesfazions and your, your, your yeah. Tetrahymenots and the other guys who've come out of that country. So, um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's it's really freaky. interesting. Um, and the other thing that really impressed me about not just him but about the way Antomarche approached stage one was because, and this maybe eluded you if you were just watching it in snatches on your phone and, and not really being able to concentrate on it, but the final 5.6 kilometer climb, a cut for a couple of kilometers, not much happened. And then because not, not much was happening, one of the teams who don't have a fast finisher, don't have a GC rider, really tried something. And that was mm. AG2R Citroën. And they launched, they launched with um, a really explosive move that wasn't really going to get any further than it did. Uh, that was Lawrence Narsen. He went with about, I don't know, off the top of my head, four kilometers to go. Mm. I mean, really ambitious move. And when he just started to tire a little bit, there was a counterattack that was complete, of a completely different order by Leonard Kemner from Border Hanskra. And he, oh, yeah, he, at, he shot across the gap to a tiring... Yeah. Um, um, uh, Narsen, and then and then he and then he pushed on and he took out a sort of 10 12 second gap i think i don't think i'm exaggerating and he's a class climber and mm. he, he is just all of a sudden he's well within two kilometers and there, there is work to be done to bring this guy back someone has to do it now if you're if you're um Grumai and you're sitting in there and you're 21 years of age and you're not the favorite to win the stage um you might be forgiven for looking around and saying, well, where are Alpes and Phoenix? Yeah, mm. who's going to, and everyone, and, but no, Antomarche went to the front. And to this day, I haven't figured out exactly which of their riders um, it was who did the work on the front. I should, have, I should have worked that out already. But one of their riders in particular, I mean, just turned himself inside out to actually neutralize Leonard Kemner's attack and bring Ramai back into it. In the meantime, Mathieu van der Poel 
cleverly is actually not being very Mathieu van der Poel. He's actually right. He's almost invisibly kind of dropped back into 20th place, 15th, 20th place. He came from really, really far back. But two things were notable about that. One was that Mathieu van der Poel is starting to race slightly differently, isn't he? With a bit more craft and he doesn't need to kind of explode with three kilometers to go and get it done with this kind of giant fanfare because he's still got enough confidence in his finishing speed. Um, But two, Grimai just belongs. There's not a bit of him that is, um, you know, learning the ropes or anything. Mm. He's just, he's just, he just fits in and he's got the self-belief and the tactical awareness to call the shots as if um, he is the player that he is because he's, he's undeniably in that in that category now. And I'd, I'd be really surprised if he doesn't win a stage at the Giro. No, not really surprised, but if he wins a stage, it won't surprise me remotely because I think there'll be plenty of opportunities for him to do that. Yeah, definitely. Chapeau, Grimai. Cha- chapeau indeed. Chapeau indeed. Um, what about um, Caleb's quacking thing? Have you ever, I mean, that's, yeah, was it? Yeah, I saw the replays and stuff. It just, uh, it does look like when you get to that point, I mean, he was kind of losing, came up a little bit once, kind of Grimai came round him. He then got sucked into the, the slipstream. I think at exactly the same point when Grimai was just slowing a little bit. And so it was just that perfect storm where Grimai yeah. was just that micro slowing down as he was just losing momentum. And just at that point, Caleb Bjorn hit his slipstream and started moving up again. And I think he was so tired yeah. and was so pinned and maxed out that he just kind of didn't notice kind of that he'd overlapped. And it was simple. When you're that tired, you can't, there's nothing you can do. And I think that's why he's, he's had no, he hasn't had any reproachment towards Gramai or anything. He no. knows it was a, just a mistake. And, uh, and he was disappointed with himself, wasn't he? But that, I mean, that was a, a pure example of three riders who were just absolutely pinned. And pinned, I mean, yeah. saw Matthew yeah. Vanderpool, as usual, after finish, he tends to when he wins, just absolutely claps. Uh, when he does the big ones, and that was one of those ones, he had to go so deep to get past yep. Gramai, and then Gramai was just slowing down. So I think all three of them were just, they were doing everything they could. And just unfortunately for Caleb Ewan, he found himself crossed up and hit the deck. Of all the many statistics about Mathieu van der Poel, I, I, I'd be surprised if this isn't the true, but I, I've, ne- I've not been able to check it and I've not actually seen it repeated anywhere else. So maybe it isn't true, but do you think, has anyone else ever debuted at two Grand Tours and worn the jersey on both? Mm, yeah, I have. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait, no, no, you didn't. You <laughs> I did Tour de France and the Volta Espana. Oh my God, yeah. did you wear the jersey on your first Vuelta? That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's a weird stat. And, uh, in the Giro d'Italia, in my first ever so Giro. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. Carry on. Yeah, go on. <laughs> and then the Giro d'Italia, um, my first ever Giro, we won the team time trial with uh, Christian van der Vos. We've got pink in the pink in the team so yeah so you almost you did it th- you almost did almost. it three times yeah almost did it oh three my times. god i've been a bit better that day yeah if you'd if so if you'd crossed the line first in the team time trial you'd have worn yeah. the leaders jersey on your debut on all three grand tours yeah exactly yeah but i did a kamikaze turn like a k out and oh, kind of okay yeah yeah. Oh well, listen. I, I, I'm, I'm devastated. I didn't know that, David. <laughs> that's really, that's really, that's a really Quite impressive achievement. That killed that stat stone dead. No, David Miller did it a long time before Mattia van der Poel. First stage, first. first. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I, Very cool. Yeah. So he's just yeah, got to the Volta now. <laughs> um, what about the time trial? So the time trial. First thing to note. Budapest was incredible. I don't know if you saw the, the crowds. I saw the pictures. pictures. It oh. was wild. 
just yeah, amazing. Yeah, that was Tour de France craziness, wasn't it? It had, on the when they hit the climb, w- w- just inside 1.2k to go, that had a, had a about a 100 metre section that was at 14%, mm. um, just a wall. And the crowd either side of that particular section were probably eight deep and leaning over the barriers, you know. And it reminded me absolutely immediately of that ramp in Poe on that uh, day when yeah. Julian Alaphilippe yeah. was in yellow. And it was the noise. It was football crowd noise. Mm. It wasn't cycling crowd noise. It was a genuine, <laughs> it's like a little mini stadium. Um, and, you know, because of, because of the, the ambient noise generated by broadcasting mm. road racing, you know, mostly it's motorbikes and helicopter rotor blades, isn't it? And everything else gets mm. drowned out. But this was unmistakably raucous. It was, um, oh, and wow. it was pretty much, you know, the whole way down. There was a big avenue that led from, the start at Hero Square, Long Avenue, two kilometres down to the River Danube um, uh, in, in Pest on that side of the river. And I mean, most of that avenue was kind of five deep as well. And every time any of the three Hungarian riders uh, were, were off, off on, the, on their time trial, it just kind of went up a notch again. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely, it was just, it was, it was brilliant. I have to say, because I don't really get a chance in, we'll come to the time trial in a second, but I just want to, you know, for the benefit of people who are kind of wondering why, if they have been listening to my World Feed commentary, because I'm paid by the organisation, you know, it puts me in a very difficult position. I can't talk about the things that I would like to say, but I am completely aware, just for the record, of how dreadful a regime this uh, this Hungarian government is. Viktor Orban is, um, and I'm, I referenced it when I did that little travelogue, but the the... The, the way that he has um, quelled opposition in his country, his uncomfortable relationship with Vladimir Putin, um, the, the, the friction that he creates within the European Union, his repressive attitude towards uh, migration and refugees, um, the way that he is silencing academic opposition. So he's taking the universities, appointing his cronies to shut down um, various different faculties there. And um, last, but most certainly not least, because this community has suffered at his hands almost more than any other, he is a vile homophobe. And the legislation that he has brought in, uh, which basically outlaws um, scenes which uh, either promote or aren't openly critical of homosexuality and trans issues um, and any promotion of, of, of what he considers to be unchristian lifestyles is clamped down on and, Ill- and illegals criminalized in Hungary. Hmm. Um, this, is not, this is not a harmless sort of like, this is a, a really, uh, really dangerous character. And he's in the European Union and he needs to leave. He needs to leave office. You know, they need to, some, by, he needs to be voted out. There needs to be regime change because it's only going one way in Hungary and it's a dark, and it's in a dark direction. So I am aware of that. And I'm aware of the fact that um, the Giro d'Italia coming to Budapest and looking sunny and gleeful, um, the, the crowds and the way the riders raced it have nothing to do with Viktor Orban. And they are blameless in all of this. They put on a fantastic show. And um, it's, it is possible to look at the Giro d'Italia and to look at Orban as two separate things. And uh, we are capable of human beings of, as, as human beings of making that distinction and not being fooled by the cheap trick of sports washing. So there you go. I'd just like to put that on the record. Very good. Have you got a on message? Because that was, that was my message that I wanted to say. Um, you've got a bit of a commercial um, message, haven't you? Can't, yeah, let's my, do that. Well, may as well jump let's into commercial. That. Let's, let's yeah. flip it. Um, 
yeah, so this goes back actually to to what we're doing at, at chapter three at the moment. Obviously, I've designed all these these different uh, this this, this range, but I've never actually put them together into outfits. And so what we've done in the last week is actually put the road outfit. We put a, we call it the Stealth OG because it's all black. The old black seen cycling kit. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. Kind of, we're all into color. I mean, I love colors. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I also like the old black kit because it just, you always look, well, stealth. It's just a classic, black, isn't it? You can't go black wrong. Black is the enduring, like, black's never going to go away, is it? Pink it's never going to go away. Go, like, black, black kits are exactly. always going to be there. Always going to be there. Yeah. So we, we packed together, um, our Grand Tour shorts, which, Everybody that's had them says they're the best shorts they've, they've ever ridden in. And that's no lie. Go check the reviews. Uh, they're as ever sustainable, the kit. The, the jersey's made of 100% recycled material. The shorts are actually 60, 65 your percent recycled. I watched your little explainer video. Did you watch video it? Where you're, yeah, 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 yeah. You're sitting at the desk, yeah. sort of grappling around. It's quite weird in a way, because there you are, the CEO of your you know, apparel. And all you're doing is actually fondling and stretching um, oh, yeah. the seated the seated you know, pants of a, of a pair of cycling shorts, which is fine because you're making a point. But on the other hand, if you step well, away and look, it's quite a strange thing to be doing. But anyway. It is um, quite a strange thing. But, you know, I'm <laughs> proud of it. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I take a great deal of pleasure in, in, in touching what we've made. Okay. Uh, but you go on there, go on to chapter3.com and you'll see outfits. And what we've done is is to encourage people to go for the whole outfit. It's taken 40% off if you go for the whole package. It's a bundle, Ooh, as they say. That's a lot. So that's go a on big to, discount. Go on, go on to chapter3.com and, and check it out. And we're going to be doing the same with some of the other outfits. And same for women. We've got the, the new um, spring... Uh, uh, we're calling it spring autumn because it's not winter uh, and we've got three quarter tights and things on there so there's a lot going on there um so please go check it out support never strays far go to chapter3.com yes. that's exactly right and um, buy it don't just go there go and buy some yeah 40 percent buy it um, well, i'd love to offer you dear listeners 40 percent off the road book but um i can't because it would uh, well i can't i'd have nothing to do with the pricing policy but i suspect we're not, never going to offer you 40 percent off the road books because it would um, kill us stone dead uh, that is a massive that's a massive discount <laughs> but mm. things cost a lot of money to produce sometimes yeah. and uh, occasionally like your apparel and things they're worth it mm. so um mm. yeah support mm. never strays far <clears throat> now david time trial simon yates let's start with the winner yeah i know i mean i i saw afterwards an interview with um with whitey and, whitey uh, i saw I mean, whitey afterwards do you spoke to him did you yeah, we were just, um, we, me and Matt were just walking away down the hill from the, the castle to go and collect our car. And there he was, Matt. He just parked up his little uh, bike exchange car. Look, we're surprised. We're surprised you are. What it? What it? And we said, we said, that wasn't rubbish, was it? Nah, mate. Take that. Take that. But do you know what he said? He said, in great detail, actually, he said, it's so much to do. I mean, obviously, he was full of praise for, for, for Yates and you know, the way that he'd ridden it and the form that he's in. But he said, also, don't underestimate the massive difference that having the right kit um, in terms of bikes and setup and tech makes. Um, and uh, they were riding last year on Bianchi, uh, I think. And he was saying that, you know, that the weird anomalous thing is that all these, all these products, the time trial bikes have to be commercially available, don't they? Um, and mm. uh, that, you know, you have to be able to buy them and not many people in the world buy time trial bikes. I mean, it's, you know, no. it's hundreds rather than thousands, really. So per, per manufacturer. So there's, it's quite hard for bike brands to really invest in, mm. um, in that technology. And he said, and I, I, do they ride, which do they ride now? Do you know? Gi- is it Giant? Giant? I think, I think it's Giant, Giant, yeah. I think it's Giant. I think he said Giant. Yeah. He said they've really thrown their weight behind this. And, um, you know, they're really mm. properly investing. For Bianchi, 
they were never that because they know they knew they were never going to you know sell these they were always going to lose money on the road so they never really kind of invested in the tech and he said they're riding a much yates is on much mm. better kit but that only partially explains um that yeah, success yeah, yeah. and, and, it's, and, a, and a crazy speed suit and a crazy British speed made, suit three thousand three thousand pounds speed suit or yeah something, isn't it? i know i tell you what bloody works well, it's worth it isn't it three grand so, if you win a grand tour stage I've been thinking about this some um, individual time trial and what really struck me about it was how confused the pacing strategy was from lots and lots of the contenders. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of them, like maybe even Dumoulin holding, holding something back for that climb, knowing that the relative severity of the climb, it wasn't a massive climb, but it was a significant effort of a couple of minutes. Nonetheless. Um, I wonder if you just, you know, t- just slightly paced it to because let's not forget that Simon Yates, I think, was was almost six seconds faster than Tom Dumoulin at the foot. on the on the flat section on the first Ooh. seven kilometers that were pan flat. Six seconds yeah. faster than Tom Dumoulin, which that is not normal, and that suggests that Dumoulin was really, you know, rel- he was Measure, saving measuring quite, the effort. He really was saving quite a lot, wasn't he? Otherwise, he would have gone faster mm. than Simon Yates. He would have gone faster than Simon Yates. How far was the time trial? It was nine point two kilometers. Uh, mm. You know, but but then again, and Dumoulin climbed I, I, faster just, than Yates slightly. Because yeah. I mean, in theory, you'd think that Tom Dumoulin, even if he was just measuring it slightly, because it's such a negligible difference over that over nine k's. Even if you're holding back, you're not holding back that much because at that fitness, you're basically redlining the whole time. If you, you've got to pace that red line, obviously. But even if Tom Dumoulin was pacing slightly, you'd still expect him to be faster than Yates on the flat. Right? You see what I, I mean? I mean, six yeah. seconds slower. Mm. It's quite yeah. a gap. It's quite a gap, isn't it? I mean, well, what, what, did, uh, what did Mathieu uh, do on the flat then? Just rode really fast? Everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> just, rode, just rode really fast. I can't remember the split time relative to Yates. Um, I can't remember. So I haven't got that. I haven't got that information to hand because it all, you know, I was scribbling my live notes down and that was one mm. thing I didn't, I didn't uh, note down. Um, you let yourself down but, there, Ned, because that would have been a really interesting bit of information yeah, to know. Yeah, it, it would have been. Sorry about that. But he was three seconds slower than, than Simon Yates at the, at the finish line, wasn't he? Oh, no, I do know. Yeah. I remember now. I remember. They were almost the same. I think it was okay. 0.65 of a second. So Van der Poel and Yates rode the flat <laughs> section the first seven and a half K wow. in the same time, essentially. Okay. Uh, and then yeah. Van der Poel, big unit that he is, he was three seconds slower than Yates on the, on the climb, which that it's kind of much. makes sense, doesn't it? But um, another yeah, example does. of a rider who I think uh, completely kind of got confused by the strategy and as a result underperformed was Richard Carapaz, who, who arguably, you know, it was, it was really quite an average um, performance from him. And, Startlingly, when you look at the general classification the way the way it is now, so and you scrub out the non-GC riders, so you know you take out Mathieu van der Poel, that puts Yates on zero, and you know those kind of like mm. the GCs that you work out from that. Yates is now on zero. Tom Dumoulin on five seconds. Wilco Kelderman, who's looking really good, is on thirteen seconds. Um, mm. But but Richard Carapaz is already twenty-four seconds down on Simon Yates. Ooh. It's quite a lot, isn't it? It's quite a and, lot. And um, 
Uh, Miguel Angel Lopez, 42 seconds down on Simon Yates. Yeah. Now I know it's I know it's I know it's ridiculous to even start talking about the general classification in Verona, but in the modern history of of Grand Tour races, you know, twenty twenty, the Giro was won by thirty nine seconds. Twenty seventeen, it was won by thirty one seconds. Twenty eighteen, it was won by forty six seconds. Twenty sixteen, it was won by fifty two seconds. You know, mm. more That's often than not, the, the winning margin without, the winning margin yeah. is within a minute. Yeah, without Pogacar, that's just is how it operates these days. Yeah, seemingly, isn't it? Seeming. It's just, it's just unless yeah. it's a Pogacide. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what, Simon Yates, I mean, that's really good. I'll tell you what, the other, uh, uh, well, there were lots of outstanding performances in the individual time trial, but in terms of the GC riders, the shark. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, the shark was really good. He, he rode What's up he? it in 12.09. Um, which uh, was what nineteen seconds slower than Simon Yates, but a whole lot better Ooh, than a whole good. load of the other um, climbers, and he's um, yeah. significantly better off in the GC than his teammate, who he's here to support, Miguel Angel Lopez. Now, huh. so um, and now, now everyone's in the shark pit, aren't they? In Sicily, Sicilia. Yeah, and there's a there, it's two stages in Sicily. We'll come on to that in a minute, but um, tomorrow we finish up Mount Etna, and then the next day there's a hilly stage that finishes in Messina. Oh. oh, wow. So it's red hometown. Let, red letter day for the shark. Yeah, massively. Mm. <clears throat> um, and then there was, oh, well, then just there was one question. How, yeah, how's, on. Hang on, just, just quickly. What yeah. is um, Yates' team like for defending? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's all right. It's, it's um, the like, yes, it is. It's, it's, it's the, yes, your cl- did, 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 they bring a, did they bring a proper squad for him? Yeah, and as what much as got. they... Yeah, they're kind of what they've got, really. It's, you know, it's, mm. I'm, I don't that sound like I'm really decrying them, but they're, you know, they're not. It's it's um it's really solid, but I think yeah, like a lot of, like a bit like Ineos Grenadiers as well. I think he might be isolated, you know, fairly. If a didn't team like UAE Team Emirates take it on, um, I don't think he's got too many guys who'll be right right there with him to the very top. Wasn't it three years ago where Yates ripped Etna to pieces? Three years ago, was, was it the day? Yeah, it was. The, uh, it was four years ago, wasn't it? The, it was after four years ago when he was just when he was just ripping the Giro to pieces. Exactly. Yeah. And now, and now push. he's yeah. you know now he's he's ripped stage two to pieces, and he's clearly on absolutely scintillating form. But what he's mm. got to do now, and I'm presuming he's sitting in a hotel room somewhere very near me right now, puzzling mm. about this whole thing. He, what do mm. you do now? Now, when mm. everyone says 2018, 2018, 2018 yeah. to you, where he was just this amazing old school, charismatic, Merxian, win everything, smash the yeah. race to pieces, and yeah. then it all crumbled in the last week. Mm. With that knowledge there. What do you do? Do you, I mean, is it, is it a thing that you, you know, if he feels like he can win on Etna tomorrow, does he not win on Etna? I mean, it's a real conundrum yeah, exactly. to me, isn't it? It's a real conundrum. It's one thing saying, yeah. <clears throat> hold it back, it's a long race. But it's another thing saying, that means deliberately go slower than you think you can. I, I don't really know what, how you actually put that into practice. If he's as strong as that, I guess he'd, I mean, he has to go on the offensive if he sees everyone else weakening. But if, if he sees an opportunity to take more time and he's not collapsing at the finish line, then he'll go. You know, there's no, he's not going to do a ride that's kind of going to be absolutely all in. It'll be more opportunistic. If he starts to see people in trouble and he's feeling that good, then I guess he'll do kind of like Pogacar does. He'll go within himself. 
and not yeah. kind of go over the red line. And I suppose that's if, it. If, if, it? He's that, so, if, if he's that good, you may as well. Incredibly yeah. fine calibration, though, isn't it? And a really, yeah, a really interesting, <clears throat> a really interesting proposition, I think, for the for the stages to come. We've got Etna on Etna on stage four, and then we've got Blockhouse stage um, just a, a few days after that. So, yeah, um, uh, stage and, three. Uh, stage three. Do you know the the breakaways have been quite amusing so far? Really on stage one, there were two riders. The true two Androni riders just went off. Mm. And no one else nice. went with them. I mean, you just looked. But they did this massive, like, big attack with um, Tagliani leading out Baiz, um, sort of two-up attack with Adroni, just to make sure that they had at least one rider in the breakaway. Um, and they went full gas off the front and, and got about 100 metres off the front of the bunch, looked around, saw that they were on their own and kind of <laughs> looked a bit yeah. awkward and then were duty-bound just to carry on. Um, and then on yesterday stage, stage three, exactly the same two Androni riders did exactly no. the same move but 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 this time nerdling around the um the pace car and the during the neutralized rollout there had been a Bardiani jersey and also Eolo Cometa so all three of the Italian teams were kind of like mm. looking to get a ride so we thought okay there'll be a bit of a scrap this time with all of the Italian teams to get in the break um but the two Androni guys went and they took with them the Eolo Cometa rider, Samuele Rivi, who looked like he was going to, he knew what was coming. So he got straight onto that little train of two. And then, um, what was his name? Uh, Davide Gaboro from Bardiani, uh, who like, feigned an attack. He sort of went with them. And then within 20 meters or like five pedal strokes or something, he sat up. Because he never really meant he never really meant to get in the breakaway and just went Jung, straight back to the bunch. And Samuel Rivi looked around and went, "Well, hang on, I thought we." And so the Aeolo Cometa <laughs> guy had been kind of duped into following this ridiculous oh, no. breakaway by the Androni guys, and he went, "Oh no, now I'm here, so I've got to carry on." Oh. So, um, so that was quite good fun. And then they they punched each other up in the last twenty uh, kilometers of the stage to no great effect. But it was quite it was quite amusing, and it was quite it was very Italian breakaway, and they were quite bad tempered with one Italian. another. Yeah, it was good fun. I enjoyed that. There's a lot of that. And then it came down to this almighty bunch sprint on a really fast, straight uh, run-in that produced a clean sprint. I mean, that nothing happened that, you know, nothing, there was no untoward moves. There was nobody who had a particularly hard luck story to tell. Mm. Um, and one guy hit the front with 300 meters to go and nobody came past him. <laughs> I mean, it was it's just almost the story of the it race. It was incredible. I mean, absolutely yeah. incredible. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, the quick step, our final did an amazing lead out. Moku kind of positioning. So it was pretty hectic. It was going so fast and they were just yeah. timing it to perfection, just keeping yeah. it at the front, you know, so it was just yeah. getting a kind of overflowed. And then Matthew Vanderpool launched his sprint. And, uh, but when Cav went, holy cow. And it was just the way he just held everyone there. It was and if you had they were on his wheel and no one could even come off his wheel for that for, was for 150 meters it's like stasis wasn't it it was just locked yeah. down it was and, I, he had, and i saw the stats he, he he was going he averaged 72 kilometers an hour in that that final kind of when hit from when was, his sprint started yeah that's just that's <laughs> very it's very fast and it was was it 17 second sprint ah oh, it's huge yeah, yeah, I mean, it was big. I think it was either 15 or 17 seconds, averaging over 1,000 yeah. watts. Yeah, 1,100 watt average. I mean, it's just incomprehensible. That's Mark Cavendish better than he's ever been before. Arguably. <laughs> arguably. Yeah. With Fernando Gaviria to his left, yeah. Biniam Grimay on his wheel, unable to come yeah. off his wheel, 
and Arnold Demar on his right. No one impeded. Just those four riders. Just, just it, it was it, it was extraordinary. And then he, he he eased up and he won by a bike length. He didn't ease up, but he yeah. you know sat up yeah. over the line won, with so a bike length yeah. to spare. Yeah. The interview was amazing afterwards because a little detail in the interview, quite late on in his kind of photographic replay analysis of, of the stage, was the no, the bit of information that I noted was he's got this young teammate David called Mauro Schmidt, Swiss rider who took yeah. a um, his young rider, he took a brilliant victory from a breakaway last year riding for Dimension Data mm. at the Giro on the gravel stage. He's a really good rider. He's quite young and he's new to the team. First, I think it's his first race with Cavendish. And Cav was doing his usual thing about praising everybody. He, he, started, he started to call Michael Murku Murky. So he goes, so Murky did, Murky did an amazing job and all that sort of thing. And then he started to talk about Bert. Bert van Lerberger was the guy before Murky. <laughs> Right, and then the guy before Bert was Davide Ballerini. So Ballerini, Ballo, Bally. I can't remember what he called him. Oh, he said, great. He said, he said. So then, like five k to go, we had Bally on the front. So the plan was, the plan was, before Bally, we'd have Mauro. Mauro Schmidt would be there, but we were looking around, and Mauro wasn't. We didn't see Mauro. So Bally had to do like two extra kilometers like that, and I'm thinking, oh no. If you're Maro, like, oh, no. you've been identified for a bit yeah. of a talking to, haven't you? Because it's just the way he said it, but we didn't see Maro with that edge of menace and disappointment. You know, it's like, where, where <laughs> yeah. was Maro? Maro should have been there, mate. That's you know, you'd go up, you go, um, you know, if you, were, if you were one of the other teammates, James Knox or something, you'd go, Maro, just a little word, just a little heads up. Um, Mark noticed that when you, you, you weren't there um, yeah, when you, you were supposed to be. So um, you might want to go in the, uh, the team car. Yeah, I don't go in the bus. <laughs> Yeah. Go to go and up, go and give volunteer him, for an a few hours test or something until <laughs> <laughs> he's calmed down. Uh, but, um, uh, no, it was, uh, inc- it was incredible, and it it, so, it completely validates uh, what you've always said ever yeah. since we've discussed this about you take him to the Tour de France. It's just no doubt. It's just I mean, it's, crazy it's hard. to think otherwise. It's pretty hard to argue against at the moment, isn't it? I, mean, it, I know these it's things impossible to argue against. I know these I things can change quite quickly. Yeah. If Jakobsen turns up at whatever his next race is and starts winning multiple stages, then it'll look and feel different. But I think it's but really still, going to be whatever happens. He's going to be Jakobsen's going to be smaller races against lesser sprinters than what Cavs doing at the moment. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a few missing names. There's always going to be a few missing names, but mm. you know, there's no, there's no what's his name, Jasper Philipsen here. There's no who else would be like in that really top top tier. I mean, there's a few others on there, but I, I, yeah, it's hard to argue with. And I think it's really significant as well that I know he's been sent to do the Giro, which wasn't his choice, as we discussed, but he has been given Michael Mercou to ride with. Yeah, exactly. Which is the, I mean, there's no doubt that Mercou is going to the Tour de France, right? Yeah. That he's got to go to the Tour de France, but it's, it's really yeah. quite interesting. It's, it is like a, an audition, isn't it? It's like, mm. all right, Mark, all right, this is, a, this is the Giro but I'll give you him to work with. So show us what you might be able to do at the tour. You never know with Lefebvre. I mean, Lefebvre always does this, but, and, you know, Mark's not bad at it either. Whether they're just everyone, they're just playing us. It's yeah. just creating drama for yeah. the sake of it. Yeah. Because, but, yeah, you never know. Well, someone pointed out to me that, I mean, they're making a Netflix documentary, aren't they? They're making two Netflix documentaries. Oh. One, one about the Tour de France. And I understand that there's a Netflix documentary in the making about Mark Cavendish. So, oh, really? 
so there's a lot of there's a lot of theater going on uh, at the moment and it could be yeah. that you know could be that it suits everybody's purposes to make this look <laughs> like yeah. the great story that it is anyway who cares i'm enjoying it it's yeah, brilliant brilliant yeah yeah okay so what's up next well it's etna isn't it um the weather has mm. been absolutely torrential here it's just the, the rain's eased off i had to drive massey up to the finish line to the edit suites at the top of the mountain today and driving up 11 kilometers of road from here it was just a torrent coming down the roads you know it was literally driving through oh, water wow. on, on sicilian tarmac and it was quite challenging driving actually but i made it up and down in one piece and just while we've been recording this i'd sent um guillaume Martin a little message david because ah. i said good luck tomorrow because guillaume this is your mountain because and i think it's the same climb as well exactly the same route up etna that he um he rode to his um first big victory in in 2019 at the Giro di Sicilia, he's won. He's won on this mountain, and he spent um, he spent the month of April, or at least a couple of weeks in April, on his own training in Etna. So, expecting big things. This is his chance. This is, it. his chance. Move himself this is up it. into yep. top ten. Yep. Yep. Maybe. And that's it. And apart from to say, I think Philippe Gilbert won again yesterday, didn't he? Catch all Dunkirk. I think he's. I think he won two stages. I think he's won two stages. Two stages. I saw the stage he won, and I saw he won the GC. I didn't know he'd won. Two oh, maybe stages. he won the GC. Maybe he won GC. Yeah. Is that, what, is that what he did? Up, and then he won the GC. Let me just check. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough, isn't it? That's Thirty-nine years of age. Yeah, he won the GC. Yeah. And he won stage yeah. three. That's really good. I like that. Good on him. Good on him. Good on him. Yeah. So the old timers—they're all at it, aren't they? they Valverde really is. Valverde is better substantially better off than Ivan Sosa in the general classification. Sosa's huh. not riding well. He lost a lot of time on the individual time trial. So Valverde is probably leading Movistar now. It's arguable <sighs> in the next few days that Nibali might even, you know, start leading the, the Astana team, depending on what happens to Miguel Angel Lopez. Wow. Mark Cavendish is still winning and Gilbert's just won the f- six days, of, four days of Dunkirk. So, Jeez, you've either got to be 20 or 40 in modern cycling. <laughs> No in between, exactly. is there? No in between. No one likes oh. riders in their late twenties. Makes no no one's interested in you. Lot. No sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll catch up All in right, a couple then. of days. Um Well let's catch up in a couple of days. All right. Cheers, David. See yeah. you. All right. See you next. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.